If you're like most people, you've probably imagined what it would be like to win the Powerball jackpot. It almost certainly won't happen, but it's fun to think about coming into a lot of money with very little investment or effort. Maybe you'd quit your job, pay off your debts, or buy a new home and car. Maybe you'd buy several houses and several cars. You might travel, start a business, or help someone else start a business. It's natural to assume that winning the lottery would make us happier. But as you may know, research shows that many lottery winners are not happy, and some find their lives ruined. Sometimes it's because they spend all the money and even go into debt buying things that just don't bring happiness and sometimes bring trouble. This isn't a new phenomenon. One study from over 40 years ago asked recent lottery winners and people who were recently severely injured in accidents to rate the amount of pleasure they got from everyday activities. These are things like chatting with friends, eating breakfast, laughing at a joke, or receiving a compliment. The accident victims reported gaining more happiness from these simple activities than the lottery winners. We've talked on past episodes about overconfidence, and in our last episode, we talked about underconfidence. This over- and underestimation is at work here as well, thanks to something called hedonic adaptation. One aspect of this phenomenon is that we overestimate how good something will make us feel. For example, buying material possessions. The reason is that we have a tendency to get used to things that once made us happy. We win a lot of money and buy stuff, but the thrill of winning and the new possessions lasts for a little while, but eventually fades. Hedonic adaptation works the other way as well. Humans tend to be more resilient than we think we are, and so we underestimate our ability to adapt to new circumstances and move on more rapidly than we might have imagined. I'm Mark Reapy, and this is Financial Decoder, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. It's a show about financial decisions and the cognitive and emotional biases that can cloud our judgment. There's a growing body of research that demonstrates that helping others can improve our mood. Elizabeth Dunn is a professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia and co-author of the book, Happy Money. She points out that one-third of the world's population has given money to charity. Now, that's not especially surprising to me. What is surprising is that people who gave to charity reported that in order to match the benefit of happiness of giving to charity, you would have to have about twice as much as your current income, no matter what your current income bracket is. Of course, we're all different, and these are results averaged across many people. So how can you increase the odds of generating that warm glow? Dunn suggests that you need to look for three things. The first is connection. It's best to feel connected to the person or cause you're helping. The second is impact. If you can see how your contribution is making a difference, then you'll feel better about it. The third is choice. Giving needs to be something you want to do. It's tough to feel great about giving if you feel like you're being forced into it. By the way, feeling happier after giving to others isn't just a U.S. phenomenon. A Gallup poll found that in 135 countries, there's a correlation between giving money to charity and increased happiness, no matter what the country's economic situation or culture. One more thing before I get to my guess. Earlier I mentioned hedonic adaptation, our tendency to get used to things that used to make us happy, but that good feeling just fades away. In a 2018 study, researchers from the University of Chicago and Northwestern University found that when it comes to giving to others, hedonic adaptation either doesn't apply at all or is much weaker. As they said in the study, quote, 
the happiness we get from giving appears to sustain itself, end quote. In other words, while we get used to winning the lottery and the thrill of our new possessions, we don't get used to the warm feelings we get from giving. They tend to linger for much longer. By the time we publish this episode, it'll be late November, and that's the time of year we all get bombarded with requests for charitable contributions. To help us make the most of those contributions, I spoke with Sam Kang, president of Schwab Charitable. Prior to joining Schwab Charitable, he spent over 20 years at TD Ameritrade, where he held a variety of leadership roles. Sam holds the Chartered Advisor and Philanthropy designation and is part of the executive leadership team for the American Heart Association in Tarrant County, Texas. Welcome, Sam. Let's start with the basics and maybe just start at the beginning. What are the different ways to give to charity? Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, There are many ways to be charitable. Uh, Usually it's a combination of what we call the the three T's. That's time, uh, your talent, and your treasure, or in other words, your money. Uh, Although the pandemic has really changed the, the nature of volunteering time and talent, Americans are more generous now more than ever. Donating money continues to be a popular way for donors to support their favorite causes. And when giving money to charity, donors can choose to give cash, usually by writing a check or even using their credit card. They can give non-cash assets such as stock or private business interests also. So let's talk about both of those options for uh, the method of giving. And why don't we start out with with cash? I I think we've talked about on previous episodes about how when people, when making a decision, most of the time, they're just going to default to the easiest choice. And, and it seems to me that when it comes to charitable giving, uh, probably the easiest thing is just to write a check or use a credit card. Uh, what do people need to be uh, thinking about when it comes to charitable giving using cash? Yeah, well, for, first of all, there's nothing wrong with giving cash. Uh, in fact, the, the CARES Act offers additional tax benefits to donors who give cash this year. Several things to think about, though. The maximum deduction for cash donations in 2021 is 100% of your adjusted gross income. That is up from 60%. And anyone can deduct $300 in cash donations this year. And that's whether you itemize or not. Well, with that said, while cash may be an easy choice, it's not always the best option. Donors can enjoy that tax deduction for contributing cash or not cash assets to charity if they itemize. But the tax code also provides an extra benefit for those who contribute highly appreciated non-cash assets when they're held for more than a year. Donating appreciated investments such as you know, publicly traded stocks or mutual funds, ETFs, uh, to a nonprofit, that could actually increase the amount available for the charity by up to 20%. And that's because neither the donor or the charity has to pay that capital gains tax on that donated asset. That's a really important point. I want to explore that a little bit more in a second. But before we get to that, though, can you talk a little bit about where we are right now in terms of people responding to the to the COVID pandemic as we're recording this? It's been about a year and a half since this started. Uh, what What's the lay of the land right now? Yeah, p- people are still giving very generously. For Schwab Charitable in 2021, our, our fiscal year ended here in June, and donors made 24% more grants and supported thousands of new charities. Uh, We see grants to organizations across all sectors, including public health, human services, uh, and even for small business assistance and supply delivery and logistics. 
We're also seeing an uh, increase in the number of unrestricted grants uh, that aren't designated for a specific program or purpose. And what that means is it gives a charity more flexibility to perform critical services. Uh, we saw nearly 50% increase in unrestricted grants this, last, this past fiscal year. Uh, those are pretty remarkable numbers, uh, Sam. Uh, as we're recording this, you mentioned earlier capital gains taxes. As we're recording this, U.S. stocks are near all-time highs. So many investors, if they're they're going to have some gains if they if they sell, and they're going to be taxed on those gains. So, what could investors be doing right now uh, to maximize their tax advantages? That's right. Uh, th- this time of year, many are rebalancing their investment portfolios uh, and wanting to sell some shares of appreciated stock or ETFs or mutual funds. And if they donate shares to charity, including to charitable vehicles like the Donor Advice Fund, they can avoid paying capital gains taxes on the sale of those shares. If they itemize their deductions, uh, they can also receive a current year charitable tax deduction based on their fair market value of the assets. And if you do plan to donate non-cash assets, uh, you know it's important to keep in mind that some of these deadlines fall in November. Yeah, I think those deadlines are are important, and I I think it's also important that I suspect most people think of charity charitable giving as kind of this once a year thing, and they just think about it within the confines of a particular calendar year. Uh, is there a case to be made for multi year tax planning? Uh, some people can people benefit from, for example, grouping donations into a specific year? Yeah, absolutely. So as we approach the end of the year. Now, many investors work with their advisors to estimate what their current year tax bill may be. Some donors find that the total of their itemized deductions is near the level of that standard deduction. And they may have the option of what we call bunching this year's charitable giving and next year's into the 2021 tax year. So they can itemize all their deductions in 2021 and then take the standard deduction the following year and this strategy actually produces a larger two-year tax deduction. I want to go back to the uh, point you raised earlier about rebalancing the portfolio. Uh, are there other examples of maybe people looking at their portfolio and looking to kind of change direction to it? And in the process of reworking that, is d- d- does that have any implications for charitable giving? Yeah. So you know what we see is more and more investors are rebalancing their investments uh, to align with their values and. We've seen some donors tie their realignment directly with their charitable goals. Uh, Generally, if you sell certain investments that don't align with your values, you're generating significant capital gains taxes. So rather than taking that tax hit, we've seen some investors actually donate their shares to charity or a charitable vehicle. So, you know, as an example, one of our donors in California, she wanted her investment portfolio to really emphasize companies with women in leadership. And instead of selling the stock that didn't meet that criteria, she transferred them into a donor advice fund and she didn't have to pay the capital gains on the appreciated stock. And she used that charitable asset to make a 10-year commitment to support literacy for girls in Africa and Asia. That's a fantastic example, Sam. I mean, if you already own something that is not aligned with your values, then you sell it and you take a tax hit. It's as if you're getting penalized. You're getting a double whammy. And making that donation, as you just described, that is a fantastic idea. Uh, as you were talking about that particular cause of supporting financial literacy for girls, uh, that, that's a great cause. We just did an episode uh, on that, I think, our previous episode to, uh, to this one. 
But there are so many different good causes out there. And I think we've all had examples of where we get all these different choices and we start to suffer from sort of a choice overload. We get paralyzed when it comes to making a decision. And we end up, you know, frankly, not making any decision. We just avoid it. What are some of the ways to get past that paralysis, to get past that choice overload and take some action? Yeah, you're right. With, you know, more than a million and a half, a million and a half charities in the U.S., people sometimes have decision paralysis of where to give and uh, generous people naturally respond to, to current events. So you know, that pandemic is no exception. In 2020, it was a record year for giving overall. Uh, according to the Giving USA, total charitable giving grew to more than $471 billion in 2020. Now, that's the highest on record. For us at Schwab Charitable, uh, the first half of 2020 was the most active six months since the founding uh, of our charity. And giving continues to outpace previous records in 2021. What happens when we get into a situation where maybe we're overly influenced by the most recent event and it doesn't really tie back into uh, the plan, uh, our, our charitable plan that you were describing earlier? What, what do we do about that? Yeah, so in our experience, uh, those who take the time to plan giving can make sure they're not only following what you call that recency bias, but we do have a lot of tools and resources on our website to help people create that giving strategy. And we see donors who have that plan can not only support those unexpected immediate needs, but they can also continue to support their favorite causes over time. And that really helps people stay aligned with their priorities and values. So we've talked about uh, the, the importance of making a plan. Usually we're talking about, uh, you know, in a financial planning context, or, or sometimes we talk about trading plans when we're talking about uh, t- topics related to uh, more active trading of, of individual stocks. How do you go about planning when it comes to charitable giving? It seems like it's a little bit of a different animal. Well, we, we encourage donors and all investors to, to take the same thoughtful approach with charitable giving as they do the rest of their wealth management uh, and planning. Many may think that the the majority of giving in the U.S. comes from large foundations or corporations, but in fact, individual giving represents 70% of total giving, and it actually grew faster uh, than corporate giving last year. Giving is a a part of the household, and it could be planned just like you you purchase a house or you're saving for your kid's college. Uh, or even saving for retirement. You know, more and more we're seeing donors uh, involve their families and, and particularly the next generation in their planning. And, and, you know, we're coming into the holidays now. It's a great time for families to, to do this together. Uh, in fact, in a, in a recent study, we found that 80% of adult children give because their parents gave. It, it's a really a learned tradition and legacy. So, Uh, When you're thinking about planning, it really starts by defining your charitable mission, setting the goal, both from how much you want to give, when to give, and to what causes. Um, And to help donors think through those various decisions um, in creating a charitable plan, we recently released the Schwab Charitable Giving Guide this year. And what that is, it's a comprehensive, interactive guide uh, to help people create and manage a, a thoughtful giving plan. Uh, it helps donors to find their charitable mission. Uh, it creates a, a giving budget and also helps find charities that support uh, their, their interests. So um, the guide could be also used with your financial advisor who can help you consider 
maybe any tax or investment implications. I think the way you described it, it sounds it's actually not that much different from a financial plan. You know, what what are your goals? What's the process to achieve those goal to achieve those goals? It's just a matter of, in this case, talking about what are your values? How can you express those values uh, through charitable giving? Is that is that the essence of it? <laughs> exactly. You know, much like a thoughtful investment strategy and asset allocation for your investment portfolio, a plan really helps investors stay on course and meet their financial objectives. A charitable strategy and a cause allocation plan really empowers donors to do the same to meeting their charitable objectives. It gives them peace of mind, you know, to know who they want to support, what causes they want to support over time, and doing that in a most tax-effective way. And, you know, something that I'm always worried about, it also gives an easy way to say no when um, when you're asked for donations that don't necessarily appeal to your plan. Yeah, that's an uh, that's a really important point. Um, we talked about uh, we talked about giving cash. We talked about uh, donating appreciated stocks. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about is uh, bequeathing assets through through wills and estate plans. Uh, we've done an episode on estate planning before, and one of the things that came out of that episode was uh, a lot of people, uh, they just don't actually get around to creating a will or updating it uh, because of, frankly, uh, procrastination. And this always seems like something you can put off. What what impact does procrastination have when it comes to estate planning and charitable giving? Yeah, defining a legacy is is an important part of charitable giving uh, for many donors. You know, it is always surprising to hear about or wealthy individuals who've passed away with no plan in place for their for their loved ones or, or favorite causes. Um, the, the legacy conversation is about the future, but I would encourage donors to start thinking about that in the present. You know, it, it is a great way to connect even more deeply with your causes that you support and with your younger family members. Um, also, the, the charitable exclusion is one reason uh, formal planning is critical. Um, what the charitable exclusion is, it's an important part of our tax code that allows people to remove any assets given to charity from their taxable estate. So giving by bequest, you know, represents 10% of all giving last year. Um, any person whose estate will be subject to that estate tax upon their death. And uh, if they don't specify charitable beneficiaries as part of that estate plan is basically choosing to pay taxes rather than give to their favorite charities. So if you don't know whether this applies to you, uh, be sure to consult with your tax or legal advisors. Another uh, another tax-related strategy that I think is especially important for uh, retired people are uh, qualified charitable distributions. This applies, uh, I think, to people who have individual retirement accounts or IRAs. Uh, how does that fit into the picture? Yeah, so unlocking retirement assets for additional giving of uh, makes sense for a lot of donors. If you're over seven and a half or older, uh, you can direct up to 100,000 per year tax-free from an IRA uh, to any operating charity through what's called a QCD or Qualified Charitable Distribution. So by reducing the IRA balance, a QCD may also reduce the donor's taxable income uh, in future years. Uh, It could also lower the donor's taxable estate and um, in addition, it limits the tax liability on the IRA beneficiaries. Sam, let's talk a little bit about private foundations. That's a you know a well-known method of, of giving to charity. What's your assessment of that approach? Yeah, so just like a, a donor advice fund or charitable trust, 
private foundations allow people to contribute and give over time, uh, but more so for wealthy individuals. Uh, unlike uh, donor advised funds, private foundations can actually employ staff, including family members, and they can make grants to name the individuals, uh, for example, for travel or study. Uh, so because of these benefits, private foundations offer lower tax deductions than giving directly to a charity or to a donor advice fund. Um, they also carry legal setup costs and uh, annual administrative and tax filing costs. So the word that comes to mind when I hear setup costs, annual administrative and tax filing costs is, is overhead. Is, 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 is this overhead pretty substantial? Yes. Uh, so ongoing expenses can be substantial. Um, private foundations are generally recommended for those with millions of dollars in charitable assets. Uh, these donors often have more than one giving vehicle, though. So in, in fact, uh, donor advised funds works well as a, a complement to a private foundation. So let's get into more depth on the donor advised funds, since uh, you mentioned that a couple times, and I'm not sure we've uh, we've actually defined that. Uh, that's probably the least well-known structure, but also one of the fastest growing. So what do people need to know? Yeah, so that's right, Mark. So there are now actually more than 800,000 uh, donor advised fund accounts, uh, and that number is growing rapidly, and it's because people love the, the tax smart convenience and cost effectiveness. Um, 70% of our donors say that they give more to charities because of, of that donor advice fund. Um, so it's a win for charities also. Um, you know, what a donor advice fund is very similar to uh, a 529 or a 401k because they allow you to invest assets tax-free for a specific purpose. Uh, unlike a retirement fund, you can't withdraw the money. So once you contribute to your donor advice fund, the fund does need to go to a charity. Um, uh, but we've seen great success where our donors gave $3.7 billion to charities just last year. That, that's an amazing amount of uh, amazing amount of money. I, that's got to be one of the one of the largest uh, uh, charitable entities in the in the country, I would think. Um, how, how does it work? What are, what are the mechanics of a do donor advised fund? Yeah, so a donor advised fund, uh, like Schwab Charitable, it's a, a registered 501c3. So it's a public charity. And it carries many of the same tax benefits donors are used to with their uh, traditional giving to charities. Donors can contribute cash uh, or non-cash assets or investments. And once you contribute those, you can then recommend grants to the charities of your choice. You can also then invest those charitable assets for potential growth uh, tax-free. So donor advice funds really help people give more. It increases their giving power and they're able to grow the amount of their donations over time. So if I've got an appreciated stock in my brokerage account, I can just move that over to the donor advised fund. The donor advised fund will go ahead and sell that, and then I can immediately disperse the assets. Or if I haven't quite decided what I want to do, I can just have it uh, continue to be invested in the uh, in the market. Is that basically what it comes down to? Exactly. So after the contributions are liquidated, investors can recommend grants to any IRS eligible charity of their choice uh, at their convenience. The donor advice fund providers handle all of the due diligence and sends a charity a check you know, along with a personalized grant letter. But any balance in the charitable account can also be invested for potential tax-free growth, uh, which could grow over time, which means more money available to the charities. 
here at Schwab Charitable, we offer a wide variety of low-cost index funds as well as actively managed and socially responsible investment options also. And our larger accounts uh, can be professionally managed by an independent investment advisor. So uh, clearly, these are growing in popularity, $3.7 billion just in the Schwab Charitable Fund in grants, just in the Schwab Charitable Fund alone. What do you think... What do you think is attracting people? What what is the uh, what are the advantages of this approach? Yeah, so obviously, in addition to the tax benefits and the increased giving power, uh, donor advice funds are really very simple and efficient. Uh, it allows the donors to manage their charitable giving right alongside their finances, and um, it offers the same digital experience that investors are used to. So, you know, donors can log into their Schwab charitable account. They see all of their giving history, their account balances right next to their investment and banking accounts. And then even with just a you know, simple few clicks, donors can move assets from those investment and banking accounts right to their charitable account. We also offer a, a personalized annual report at tax time. So, you know, I'm sure you've been here before where you're having to collect all those receipts for giving that eliminates all that where that's all in one report. Um, we, we hear from donors and advisors that donor advice funds really help people give more and more often because it helps a donor really plan um, and fund charitable giving right alongside their, their financial goals. And I think most importantly, donor advice funds are helpful to charities because they help to reduce their costs and it really encourages a greater level of giving. So Sam, I want to tie this back to where we started, which is really about decision-making biases that people have. How does the donor advice structure, how does that help mitigate some of the decision-making biases that we've discussed? Yeah, so donor advice funds make it much easier to, to donate more tax-advantaged, appreciated assets and unlock their value for charitable good, uh, mitigating that bias of defaulting to the easy choice uh, of just giving cash or writing checks or even pulling out your credit card. Um, the donor advice funds also helps to combat both that procrastination and uh, recency bias by providing a simple tool for investors to incorporate charitable planning into to everyday financial planning. Uh, they can help create a proactive and a more thoughtful approach to charitable planning and, and legacy planning. And, and finally, I would say that donor advice funds also help to compensate for what we call that loss aversion bias, uh, which can distract from strategic giving. And you know what we mean by that is, you know, by contributing money to a donor advice fund, you're separating that financial decision from the charitable decision. So once the money's in the account, it must go to a, a, a charity. So the decision on when or where or how much to grant that becomes much easier. Yeah, that's one of the things I like most about it because it, it makes the task a little bit seem a little bit less overwhelming because you can break it into these uh, break it into these discrete pieces. Um, we've got a lot of people who listen to the uh, to the podcast. Uh, what's the profile of the the type of individual who who benefits the most from a donor donor advice fund? Yeah, so donor advice funds it, it can be appropriate for anyone who gives to charity uh, on a regular basis. Uh, our donors live across the U.S., across uh, all generations, you know, from the greatest generation to the millennials. And we see people pursuing a variety of philanthropic goals. I mean, we have accounts from a few hundred dollars to millions. 
giving. It's a, it's a tool. It's a tool to express yourself. It's a it's a tool to uh, uh, to make a change in the world, hopefully in a in a positive way. But like like all tools, they can be used well. They can be used not so well. So, what are some of the mistakes that people make when it comes to giving to charity? Yeah. So when I think about mistakes, um, taking only a, a reactive approach instead of a, a more proactive and planned approach with your charitable giving. It, it could result in just a less efficient and less impactful, you know, philanthropy. So it's important to make sure to utilize the education and resources that are available. Uh, some donors try to go it alone and try to find a cause to support. But what we like to do is really encourage um, our donors to talk to friends and family and uh, leverage the databases that are out there, such as Charity Navigator or Candid. Uh, there's also lists available or there's recommendations. So for example, Center of Disaster Philanthropy. Um, and then uh, as always financial advisors uh, can help you with just your overall planning. Uh, same question as before, but could you zero in on some of the mistakes that people make when it comes to uh, donor advice funds? Yeah, so with, with donor advice funds specifically, tax laws can be tricky. So it's important to pay attention to the details and uh, consult with your tax advisor before making any moves. As an example, the tax benefit applied by the CARES Act, they don't apply to donations to the donor advice fund. So uh, donations must go to working charities. If you're a new donor uh, and you want to uh, be eligible for the 2021 tax benefit, it's also important to, to give yourself and your uh, donor advice fund provider enough time to establish your account and process the contribution before the year end, especially if you're planning on uh, contributing a, a complex asset. We encourage anyone interested in that year end contribution guideline to, to visit our website on schwabcharitable.org. By the time this episode airs, we will be in the thick of the holiday season and some of those uh, deadlines are coming up fast. So we really encourage people to uh, uh, to to get a move on and start uh, start really thinking about this. Uh, thanks for being here, Sam. Great information. Appreciate you coming by. Great, thank you. Sam made an important point about the CARES Act that deserves a fuller explanation. It includes tax incentives for charitable giving that apply through the end of 2021 and apply only to cash donations. For instance, if you're an individual taking the standard deduction, you can claim an additional deduction of up to $300 for cash donations to charity. If you're a married couple filing jointly, you can claim up to $600. If you itemize deductions, the rules are a little different. For one, you can elect a CARES Act deduction of 100% of your adjusted gross income deduction limit. If you'd like more information, visit schwabcharitable.org. Sam also made a point about how choice overload can be a real obstacle. It happens when we have too many choices and get overwhelmed as a result. It's counterintuitive. It seems that the more choices we have, the better. But in fact, too many choices can sap our happiness. In some situations, cause us to give up completely and walk away without choosing anything. In a recent episode of Choiceology, Katie Milkman had an interesting look at choice overload. It's Season 6, Episode 2, and it's called Spoiled for Choice. You can find it at schwab.com by searching for Choiceology or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Katie's guest, Barry Schwartz, discusses choice overload in terms of buying things like jeans, where there's a seemingly endless array of styles, colors, etc. But you can see how the concept of choice overload easily translates to selecting charities where there's an abundance of choices. How do you decide which charities to donate to? A good place to start is the list I provided at the beginning. People tend to be happier when they give to charities whose missions they connect with. You also might be happier donating to organizations where you can see the impact your contribution makes. Whatever charity you end up selecting, don't forget that a donor-advised fund can help you maximize your impact. If you don't have one already, you can go to schwabcharitable.org to get started. Schwab Charitable also has a great podcast called Giving with Impact that covers many of the topics Sam discussed and others in greater detail. You can give it a listen and subscribe in your podcasting app of choice. Just search for Giving with Impact, or you can visit schwabcharitable.org slash impact podcast. So if you want to feel a little bit happier this holiday season, don't bother fantasizing about the Powerball jackpot. Instead, pick a charity you believe in and use one of the giving strategies we've covered here today to truly make a difference. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. For important disclosures, see the show notes and schwab.com slash financial decoder.